CD3. It was Constable Visit the Infidel with Explanatory Pamphlets Week as Communications Officer, which largely meant looking after the pigeons and keeping an eye on the clacks, with of course the assistance of Constable Downspout. Constable Downspout was a gargoyle. When it came to staring fixedly at one thing, you couldn't beat a gargoyle. The gargoyles were getting a lot of employment in the clacks industry. Constable Visit quite enjoyed the pigeons. He sang them hymns. They listened to short homilies, cocking their heads from side to side. After all, he reasoned, had not Bishop Horne preached to the mollusks of the sea? And there was no record of them actually listening, whereas he was certain that the pigeons were taking it in. And they seemed to be interested in his pamphlets on the virtues of Omnianism, admittedly as nesting material at the moment, but this was certainly a good start. A pigeon fluttered in as he was scraping the perches. Ah, Zebadina, he said, lifting her up and removing the message capsule from her leg. Well done. This is from Constable Shoe, and you shall have some corn provided locally by Josiah Frumont and Sons, seed merchants, but ultimately by the grace of Om. There was a whir of wings, and another pigeon settled on the perch. Constable Visit recognised it as Wilhelmina, one of Sergeant Inqua's pigeons. He removed the message capsule. The thin paper inside was tightly folded, and on it someone had written, Captain Carrot, Personal. He hesitated, then put the message from Red Shoe into the pneumatic tube, and heard the whoosh of the suction as it headed off to the main office. The other one, he decided, required a more careful delivery. Carrot was working in Vimes's office, but, Visit noticed, not at the commander's desk. Instead, he'd set up a folding table in the corner. The tottering piles of paperwork on the desk were slightly less alpine than yesterday. There were even occasional patches of desktop. Personal message for you, Captain. Thank you. And Constable Shoe wants a sergeant down at Sonky's boot factory. Did you send the message down to the office? Yes, sir. The pneumatic tube is very useful, Visit added dutifully. Commander Vimes isn't very keen on it, but I'm sure it will eventually save us time, said Carrot. He unfolded the note. Visit watched him. Carrot's lips moved slightly as he read. Where did the pigeon come from? he said at last, screwing up the note. It looks pretty worn out, sir. Not from inside the city, I'm sure. Ah, right. Thank you. Bad news, sir? Visit angled. Just news, constable. Don't let me detain you. Right, sir. When the disappointed visit had gone, Carrot went and looked out of the window. There was a typical Ankh-Morpork street scene outside, although people were trying to separate them. After a few minutes he went back to his table, wrote a short note, put it into one of the little carriers and sent it away with a hiss of air. A few minutes later, Sergeant Colon came panting along the corridor. Carrot was very keen on modernising the watch, and in some strange way sending a message via the tube was so much more modern than simply opening the door and shouting, which is what Mr Vimes did. Carrot gave Colon a bright smile. Ah, Fred, everything going well? Uh, yes, sir, said Fred Colon uncertainly. Good. I'm off to see the position, Fred. As senior sergeant, you are in charge of the watch until Mr Vimes gets back. Yes, sir, I, uh, until you get back, you mean? I shall not be coming back, Fred. I am resigning. The patrician looked at the badge on his desk. And well-trained men, Carrot was saying, somewhere in front of him. After all, a few years ago there were only four of us in the watch, and now it's functioning just like a machine. Yes, although bits of it do go boying occasionally, said Lord Vetinari, still staring at the badge. Could I invite you to reconsider, Captain? I've reconsidered several times, sir, and it's not Captain, sir. The watch needs you, Mr. Iron Founderson. The watch is bigger than one man, sir, said Carrot, still looking straight ahead. I'm not sure it's bigger than Sergeant Colon, though. People get mistaken about old Fred, sir. He's a man with a solid bottom to his character. He's got a solid bottom to his bottom, uh, Mr. Iron Founderson. I mean, he doesn't flap in an emergency, sir. He doesn't do anything in an emergency, said the patrician, except possibly hide. I might go so far as to say that the man appears to consist of an emergency in his own right. My mind is made up, sir. Lord Vetinari sighed, sat back and stared up at the ceiling for a moment. 
Then all I can do is thank you for your services, Captain, and wish you good luck in your future endeavour. Do you have enough money? I've saved quite a lot, sir. Nevertheless, it is a long way to Uberwald. There was silence. Sir? Yes? How did you know? Oh, people measured it years ago, surveyors and so forth. Sir? Fettinardi sighed. I think the term is deduction. Be that as it may, Captain, I am choosing to believe that you are merely taking an extended leave of absence. I understand that you've never taken a holiday while you've been here. I'm sure you're owed a few weeks. Carrot said nothing. And if I was you, I'd begin my search for Sergeant Angua at the Shambling Gate, Vetinari added. After a while, Carrot said quietly, Is that the result of information received, my lord? Vetinari smiled, a thin little smile. No, but Uberwald is going through some troubling times, and of course she is from one of the aristocratic families. I surmise that she has been called away. Beyond that I cannot be of much help. You will have to follow, as they say, your nose. No, I think I can find a much more reliable nose than mine, said Carrot. Good. Lord Vetinari went back to his desk and sat down. I wish you well in your search. Nevertheless, I'm sure we'll be seeing you again. A lot of people here depend on you. Yes, sir. Good day to you. When Carrot had gone, Lord Vetinari got up and walked across to the other side of the room, where a map of Uberwald was unrolled on a table. It was quite old, but in recent years any mapmakers who had wandered off the beaten track in that country had spent all their time trying to find it again. There were a few rivers, their courses mostly guesswork, and the occasional town, or at least the name of a town, probably put in to save the cartographer the embarrassment of filling his chart with, as they say in the trade, M.M.B.U. Miles and miles of bloody Uberwald. The door opened and Vetinari's head clerk, Drumnot, eased his way in with the silence of a feather falling in a cathedral. "'A somewhat unexpected development, my lord,' he said quietly. "'An uncharacteristic one, certainly,' said Vetinari. "'Do you wish me to send a clax to Vimes, sir? He could be back in a day or so.' Vetinari was looking intensely at the blind, blank map. It was, he felt, very much like the future. A few things were outlined, there were some rough guesses, but everything else was waiting to be created. Hmm, he said. Do you wish me to recall Vimes, sir? Good heavens, no. Vimes in Uberwald would be more amusing than an amorous armadillo in a bowling alley. And who else could I send? Only Vimes could go to Uberwald. But surely this is an emergency, sir? Hmm? What else are we to call it, sir, when a young man of such promise throws away his career for the pursuit of a girl? The patrician stroked his beard and smiled at something. There was a line across the map, the progress of the semaphore towers. It was mathematically straight, a statement of intellect in the crowding darkness of miles and miles of bloody Uberwald. Possibly a bonus, he said. Uberwald has much to teach us. Fetch me the papers on the werewolf clans, will you? Oh, and although I swore I would never do this, please prepare a message for Sergeant Colon too. Promotion, alas, beckons. A grubby cloth cap lay on the pavement. On the pavement beside the cap, someone had written in damp chalk, Please help this little doggy. Beside it, sat a small dog. It was not cut out by nature to be a friendly little waggy-tailed dog, but it was making the effort. Whenever someone walked by, it sat upon its hind legs and whined pitifully. Something landed in the cap. It was a washer. The charitable pedestrian had only gone a few steps further along the road when he heard, "'And I hope your legs fall off, mister!' The man turned. The dog was watching him intently. "'Woof!' it said. He looked puzzled, shrugged, and then turned and walked on. "'Yeah, bloody woof, woof!' said the strange voice, as he was about to turn the corner. A hand reached down and picked up the dog by the scruff of its neck. "'Hello, Gaspard, I believe I've solved a little mystery.' "'Oh, no!' the dog moaned. "'That's not being a good dog, Gaspard,' said Carrot, lifting the dog so they could meet eye to eye. 
All right, all right, put me down, will you? This hurts, you know. I need your help, Gaspard. Not me, I don't help the watch. Nothing personal, but it doesn't do anything for my street cred. I'm not talking about helping the watch, Gaspard. This is personal. I need your nose. Carrots lowered the dog to the pavement and rubbed his hand on his shirt. Unfortunately, this means I need the rest of you as well, although, of course, I am aware that under that itchy exterior beats a heart of gold. Really, said Gaspard. Nothing good starts with I need your help. It's Angua. Oh, dear. I want you to track her. Ha! Not many dogs could track a werewolf, mister. They're cunning. Go to the best, I always say, said Carrot. Finest nose known to man or beast, said Gaspode, wrinkling it. Where's she gone, then? To Oberwald, I think. Carrot moved fast. Gaspode's flight was hindered by the hand gripping his tail. That's hundreds of miles away, and dog miles is seven times longer, not a chance. Oh? All right, then, silly of me to suggest it, said Carrot, letting go. You're right, it's ridiculous. Gaspode turned, suddenly full of suspicion. No, I didn't say it was ridiculous, he said. I just said it was hundreds of miles away. Yes, but you said you had no chance. No, I said that you had no chance of getting me to do it. Yeah, but the winter's coming on, and as you say, a werewolf is very hard to track, and on top of that, Angua's a copper. She'll work out that I'd use you, and she'll be covering her trail. Gaspard whined. Look, mister, respect is hard to earn in this dog's town. If I'm not smelled around the lamppost for a couple of weeks, my stock is definitely in the gutter, right? Yes, yes, I understand. I'll make some other arrangements. Nervous Nigel's still around, isn't he? What? That spaniel? He couldn't smell his own bottom if you put it in front of him. They say he's pretty good and easily. And he whittles every time anyone looks at him, snapped Gaspode. I heard he can smell a dead rat two miles away. Yeah? Well, I can smell what colour it is. Carrot sighed. Well, I've got no choice, I'm afraid. You can't do it, so I'll... I didn't say... Gaspode stopped and then went on. I'm going to do it, aren't I? I'm bloody well going to do it. You're going to trick me or blackmail me or whatever it takes, aren't you? Yes. How do you manage to write, Gaspard? I holds the chalk in me mouth. Easy. You're a smart dog, I've always said so. The world's only talking dog, too. Lower your voice, lower your voice, said Gaspard, looking around. Here. Oberwald's wolf country, innit? Oh, yes. I could have been a wolf, you know. We're different parents, of course. Gaspode sniffed and looked furtively up and down the street again. Steak? Every night. Right. Sergeant Colon was a picture of misery drawn on a lumpy pavement in bad crayon on a wet day. He sat on a chair and occasionally glanced at the message that had just been delivered, as if hoping the words would somehow fade away. Bloody hell, Nobby, he moaned. There, there, Fred, said Nobby, currently a vision in organdy. I can't be promoted. I am not an officer. I am base, common and popular. I've always said that about you, Fred. You got common off to a treat. But it's writ down, Nobby. Look, his lordship signed it. Well, the way I see it, you got three choices, said Nobby. You? Yeah? You can go back and tell him you're not doing it. The panic in Colon's face was replaced by glazed grey terror. Thank you very much, Nobby, he said bitterly. Let me know if you've got any more suggestions like that, cos I'll need to go and change my underwear. Or you could accept it and make such a cock-up of it that he takes it away from you. You're doing this on purpose, Nobby. Might be worth a try, Fred. Yeah, but the thing about cock-ups, Nobby, is that it's hard for you to be, you know, precise. You might think you're making a little cock-up and then it blows up in your face and it turns out to be, in fact, a big cock-up. And in those circumstances, Nobby... I am sort of worried that what his lordship might take away from me wouldn't just be the job. I hope I don't have to draw you a picture. Good point, Fred. What I'm saying is, cock-ups is like... Well, cock-ups is... Well, the thing about cock-ups is you never know what size they're going to be. Well, Fred, the third choice is you putting out with it. That's not helpful, Nobby. It'll only be for a couple of weeks, and Mr Vimes will be back. Yeah, but supposing he isn't. Nasty place, Uberwelt. I heard where it's a misery wrapped in an enema. 
That doesn't sound too good. You can fall down things. Then I'm stuck, right? I don't know how to do officering. No one knows how to do officering, Fred. That's why they're officers. If they knew anything, they'd be sergeants. Now Colon's face screwed up again in desperate thought. As a lifelong uniformed man, a three-striped peg that had found a three-striped hole very early in its career, he subscribed automatically and unthinkingly to the belief that officers as a class could not put their own trousers on without a map. He conscientiously excluded Vimes and Carrot from the list, elevating them to the rank of honorary sergeant. Nobby was watching him with an expression of combined concern, friendliness and predatory intent. What shall I do, Nobby? Well, Captain, said Nobby, and then he gave a little cough, what officers mainly have to do, as you know, is sign things. The door was knocked on and opened at the same time by a flustered constable. Sarge, Constable Shoe says he really does need an officer down at Sonkey's factory. What the rubber wally, men, said Colon. Right, an officer, right. We'll be along. And that's Captain Colon, said Nobby quickly. Uh, uh, yes, yes, and that's Captain Colon, thank you very much, said Colon, adding, as his resolve stiffened, and I'll thank you not forget it. The constable stared at them, then stopped trying to understand. And there is a troll downstairs who insists on speaking to whoever's in charge. Can't Strong in the Arm deal with it? Er, uh, is Sergeant Strong in the Arm still a sergeant? said the constable. Yes. Even unconscious? What? He's flat on the floor right now, sir, uh, Captain. What's the troll want? Right now he wants to kill someone, but mainly I think he wants someone to take the clamp off of his foot. Gaspard ran up and down, nose barely an inch from the ground. Carrot waited, holding his horse. It was a good one. Carrot hadn't spent a lot of his wages up until now. Finally the dog sat down and looked depressed. So, tell me about this wonderful nose the patricians got then, he said. Not a trace. You'd better get veterinary down here if he's so good, said Gaspard. What's the point of starting here? Worst place in the old city. It's the gates of cattle market, am I right? Trying not to smell stuff is the trick here, is the point I'm making. There's ground instinct. If you wanted to get on the trail of somebody, this is the last place I'd start. Very good point, said Carrot carefully. So what's the strongest smell heading hubwards? Dung carts, of course. Yesterday. Always a big clear out of the pens, first things Friday morning. You can follow the smell? Gaspard rolled his eyes. Whip my head in a bucket. Good, let's go. So, said Gaspard, as they began to leave the gates bustle behind, we're chasing this girl, right? Yes. Just you? Yes. Not like with dogs, then, where there might be twenty or thirty. No. So we're not looking at a bucket of cold water here? No. Constable Shoe saluted, but a little testily. He'd been waiting rather a long time. Afternoon, Sergeant. That's Captain, said Captain Colon. See the pip on my shoulder, Ridge? Reg looked closer. I thought it was bird doing, Sarge. That's Captain, said Colon automatically. It's only chalk now, because I ain't got time to get it done properly, he said. So don't be cheeky. What's up with Nobby? said Reg. Corporal Nobbs was holding a damp cloth over one eye. Bit of a country tomps with an illegally parked troll, said Captain Colon. Shows what kind of troll he was, striking a lady, muttered Nobby. But you ain't a lady, Nobby. You're just wearing your traffic calming disguise. He wasn't to know. You'd got your helmet on. Anyway, you shouldn't have clamped him. He was parked, Fred. He'd been knocked down by a cart, said Captain Colon. And that's Captain. Well, they always have excuses, said Nobby sullenly. You'd better show us the corpus, Ridge, said Colon. The body in the cellar was duly inspected. And I remember Cheery saying there was a smell of cat's pee and sulphur at the Dwarf Bread Museum, said Reg. Certainly hangs about, said Colon. You wouldn't have blocked silences if you worked here for a day. And I thought, I wonder if someone's tried to make a mould of the replica scone, sir, said Reg. Now that is clever, said Fred Colon. You'd get the real one back then, wouldn't you? Uh, no, Sarge, ca Captain, but you'd get a copy of the replica. Would that be legal? Can't say, sir. I wouldn't think so. 
It wouldn't fool a dwarf for five minutes. Then who'd want to kill him? A father of thirteen kids, maybe, said Nobby. Ha! <laughs> Nobby, will you stop pinching the merchandise, said Colon. And don't argue. I just saw you put a couple of dozen in your end bag. That don't matter, rumbled the troll. Mr. Sonky always said they was free to the watch. That was very civic of him, said Captain Colon. Yeah, he said the last thing we wanted was more bloody coppers round the city. A pigeon chose that diplomatic moment to flutter into the factory and land on Colon's shoulder, where it promoted him. Colon reached up, removed the message capsule and unfolded the contents. It's from Visit, he said. There's a clue, he says. What to? said Nobby. Not to anything, Nobby, just a clue. He took off his helmet and wiped his brow. This was what he'd hoped to avoid. In his heart of battered hearts, he suspected that Vimes and Carrots were good at putting clues next to other clues and thinking about them. That was their talent. He had others. Well, he was good with people, and he had a shiny breastplate, and he could sergeant in his sleep. All right, write up your report, he said. Well done, we're going back to the yard. I can see this is going to get on top of me, said Colon as they walked away. There's paperwork too, you know me and paperwork, Nobby. You're a very thorough reader, that's all, Fred, said Nobby. I've seen you take ages over just one page, digesting it magisterially, I thought. Colon brightened a little. Yes, that's what I do, he said. Even if it's only the menu down at the Clatchian Takeaway, I've seen you staring at one line for a minute at a time. Well, obviously you can't let people put one over on you, said Colon, sticking out his chest. Or at least sticking it further up. What you need is an aide-de-camp, said Nobby, lifting his dress to step over a puddle. Hey, do? Oh, yes. Cosy, you've been a figurehead and setting an example to your men, said Nobby. Oh, right. Yes, said Colon, grasping the idea with relief. A man can't be expected to do all that and read long words, am I right? Exactly. And, of course, we're down one sergeant at the yard now, said Nobby. Good point, Nobby. It's going to be busy. They walked on for a while. You could promote someone, Nobby prompted. Could I? What's the good of being boss if you can't? That's true. And it's sort of an emergency. Hmm... Any thoughts, Nobby? Nobby sighed inwardly. A penny could drop through wet cement faster than it could drop for Fred Colon. A name springs to mind, he said. Ah, oh, right, yes, yes, Rich Shoe, right? Good at writing, a keen thinker, and of course he's cool-headed, said Colon. Acy, practically. But a bit on the dead side, said Nobby. Yes, I suppose that counts against him. And he goes to pieces unpredictably, said Nobby. That's true, said Captain Colon. No one likes shaking hands and ending up with more fingers than they started with. So perhaps it might be best to consider someone who has been unreasonably overlooked, said Nobby, going for broke. Someone whose face don't fit, perhaps? Someone whose experience in the watch generally, and in traffic in particular, would be of great service to the city if people wouldn't go on about one or two lapses, which didn't happen in any case. The dawn of intelligence rose across the vistas of Colon's face. Ah, oh, he said, I see. Well, why didn't you come right out with that at the start, Nobby? Well, it's your decision, Fred. I mean, Captain, said Nobby earnestly. But supposing Mr. Vimes doesn't agree? He'll be back in a couple of weeks. That'll be long enough, said Nobby. And you don't mind? Me? Mind? Not me. You know me, Fred. Always ready to do my bit. Nobby? Yes, Fred? The dress? Yes, Fred? I thought we weren't doing the traffic calming any more. Yes, Fred. But I thought I'd keep it on ready to swing into action, just in case you decided that we should. A chilly wind blew across the cabbage fields. To Gaspode it brought, besides the overpowering fumes of the cabbage and the dark red smell of the dung carts, hints of pine, mountains snow, sweat and stale cigar smoke. The last came from the cartmen's habit of smoking large, cheap cigars. They kept the flies off. It was better than vision. The world of smell stretched before Gaspode. My paws hurt, he said. There's a good dog, said Carrot. 
The road forked. Gaspode stopped and snuffled around. Well, here's an interesting thing, he said. Some of the dungs jumped down off of the cart and headed away across the fields here. You were right. Can you smell water anywhere around? said Carrot, scanning the flat plain. Gaspode's mottled nose wrinkled up in effort. Pond, he said. Not very big. About a mile away. She'll be heading towards it. Very meticulous about cleanliness, Angua. That's not usual in werewolves. Never been one for water myself, said Gaspode. Is that a fact? Here, yeah, no need for that. I had a B-A-T-H once, you know. It's not as if I don't know what it's like. The pond was in a clump of wind-blown trees. Dry grass rustled in the breeze. A single coot scuttled into the reeds as Carrot and Gaspode approached. Yeah, here we are, said Gaspode. A lot of muck goes in and... He sniffed at the stirred-up mud. Uh, yeah, she comes out. <clears throat> Is there a problem? said Carrot. What? Oh, no. Clear scent. Heading for the mountains, just like you said. Um... Gaspode sat down and scratched himself with a hind leg. There's a problem, isn't there? said Carrot. Well, supposing there was something really bad that you wouldn't really want to know, and I knew what it was, how do you feel about me telling you? I mean, some people'd rather not know. It's a personal thing. Gaspard. She's not alone. There's another wolf. Ah. Carrot's mild, uninformative smile did not change. Uh, of the male persuasion, said Gaspard. A uh, boy wolf. Uh, very much so. Thank you, Gaspard. Extremely male. Um, in a very definite way. Unmistakably. Yes, I think I understand. And this is just words. In smell, it's a lot more, well, emphatic. Thank you for that, Gaspard, and they're heading... Still straight for the mountains, boss, said Gaspard, as kindly as he could. He wasn't certain of all the details of human sexual relationships, and the ones he was certain of he still couldn't quite believe, but he knew they were a lot more complicated than those enjoyed by the doggy fraternity. This smell, the extremely male one I was talking about. The very one, yes, said Carrot, levelly. You could still smell it if you were on a horse, could you? I could smell it with my nose and a sack of onions. Good, because I think we should move a little faster now. Yeah, I thought you'd think that. Constable Visit saluted when Nobby and Colon entered Pseudopolis Yard. I thought you ought to know about this right away, sir, he said flourishing a piece of paper. I just got it off Rodney. Who? The imp on the bridge, sir. He paints pictures of cards going too fast. No one had been feeding him, Visit added in a mildly accusing tone. Oh, someone's speeding, said Colon. So? He looked again. That's one of those sedan chairs the deep-down dwarfs use, isn't it? Them trolls must have been moving. It was just after the scone was stolen, said Visit. Rodney writes the time in the corner, see? A bit odd, I thought. Like a kind of getaway vehicle, sir? What did a dwarf want to steal a worthless lump of rock for? said Colon. Especially them dark dwarfs. They give me the creeps in those stupid clothes they wear. Angry silence rang like a dropped girder in a temple. There were three dwarfs in the room. You two, you ought to be out on patrol, barked Sergeant Strong in the arm. I've got business down at Chitlin Street. All three dwarfs marched out, somehow contriving even to walk angrily. Well, what was that about? said Fred Colon. Bit touchy, aren't they? Mr Vimes says that sort of thing all the time and no one minds. Yeah, but that's because he's Sam Vimes, said Nobby. Oh, and are you inferring I am not? said Captain Colon. Well, yes, Fred. You're Fred Colon, said Nobby patiently. Oh, I am, am I? Yes, Captain Colon. And they'd better bloody remember it, Colon snapped. I'm not a soft touch me. I'm not going to take insubordination like that. They've always said Vimes was a bit too soft on those dwarfs. They gets the same pay as us, and they're only half the size. Yes, yes, said Nobby, waving his hands placatingly in a desperate attempt to calm things down. But, Fred, trolls are twice as big as us, and they get paid the same, so it... But they've only got a quarter of the brains, so it's just the same, like I said. The noise they heard was long and drawn out and menacing. It was the sound of Lance Constable Blue John's chair being pushed back. The floor creaked as he shambled past Colon, removed his helmet from its peg with one enormous hand and headed for the door. Going on patrol, he mumbled. You're not on patrol for another hour, said Constable Visit. Going now, said Blue John. 
The room was darkened for a moment as he eclipsed the doorway, and then he was gone. Why is everyone so titchy all of a sudden, said Colon. The remaining constables tried not to catch his eye. Did I hear someone snigger? he demanded. I didn't hear anyone snigger, Sarge, said Nobby. Oh, oh, you think I'm a sergeant, do you, Corporal Nobbs? No, Fred, I... Oh, gods! I can see things have got pretty slack around here, said Captain Colon, an evil little gleam in his eye. I bet you were all thinking, oh, it's only fat old Fred Colon. It's all going to be gravy from now on, eh? Oh, no, Fred, no one thinks you're old... Oh, gods! Just fat, eh? Fred glowered around the room. Suddenly, and against all previous evidence, everyone was vitally interested in their paperwork. Right. Well, from now on, things are going to be different, said Captain Colon. Oh, yes, I'm on to all your little tricks. Who said that? Said what, Captain? said Nobby, who'd also heard the little whispered, We learned them all from you, Sarge, but at this moment would eat live coals rather than admit it. Someone said something blotto voice, said Captain Colon. I'm sure they didn't, Captain, said Nobby, and they won't be eyeballed like that, neither. No one's looking at you, wailed Nobby. Aha, you think I don't know that one, Colon shouted. There's plenty of ways to eyeball someone without looking at them, Corporal. That man over there is earlobing me. I think Constable Ping is just really interested in the report he's writing, Fret, Sar, uh, Captain. Colon's ruffled feathers settled a little. Well, all right. And now I'm going up to my office, all right? There'll be some changes around here. And someone bring me a cup of tea. They watched him go up the stairs, enter the office and slam the door. Well, that... Constable Ping began, but Nobby, who had a lot more experience of the colon personality, waved one hand frantically for silence while he held the other one to his ear very theatrically. Then they all heard the door click open again, quietly. A change is as good as a rest, I suppose? said Constable Ping. As the prophet Osri says, better an ox in the potter's fields of Hashiba than a sandal in the wine presses of Gash, said Constable Visit. Yes, so I've heard, said Nobby. Well, I'll just make him his tea. Everyone feels better after a cup of tea. A couple of minutes later, the constables heard Colon shouting, even through the door. What is wrong with this mug, Corporal? Nothing, sir, sir. It's your mug. You always have your tea in it. Ah, oh, but you see, it is a sergeant's mug, Corporal. And what is it that officers drink out of? Well, Carrot and Mr Vimes have got their own mugs. No, they may choose to drink out of mugs, Corporal, but watch regulations say officers have a cup and saucer. Says so right here, Regulation 301, Subsection C. Do you understand me? I don't think we've got any. You know where the petty cash is? Usually you're the only person that does. You're dismissed, Corporal. Nobby came downstairs, white-faced, holding the offending receptacle. The door opened again. And none of you are to gobbin it, neither, shouted Colon. I know that one, and it's to be stirred with a spoon, understand? I know that one too. The door slammed. Constable Visit took the mug from Nobby's shaking hand and patted him on the shoulder. Chalky the Troll does some very good seconds, I understand, he began. The door opened. Bloody chainer, too. The door slammed. Anyone seen the petty cash lately? said Constable Ping. Nobby reached mournfully into his pocket and pulled out some dollars. He handed them to visit. Better go to that posh shop in King's Way, he said. Get one of those cups and saucers thin enough to see through, you know, with gold round the rim. He looked round at the other constables. What are you lot doing here? You won't catch any criminals in here. Does the petty cash count, Nobby? said Ping. Don't you Nobby me, Ping. You just get out there, and the rest of you. Days rolled by. More accurately, they rattled by. It was a comfortable coach as coaches went. And as coaches on this road went over continual potholes, it swayed and rocked like a cradle. Initially, the motion was soothing. After a day or two, it palled. So did the scenery. Vimes stared glumly out of the window. There was another Klax tower on the horizon. They were putting them near the road, he recalled, even though that wasn't the direct route. Only a fool would build them across the Badlands. You had to remember sometimes that within a few hundred miles of Ankh-Morpork, there were still trolls who hadn't caught on to the fact that humans weren't digestible. Besides, most of the settlements were near the road. 
the new guild must be coining money. Even from here he could see the scaffolding as workers feverishly attached still more gantries and paddles to the main tower. The whole thing would likely be matchsticks after the next hurricane, but by then the owners would have probably earned enough to build another five, or fifty. It had all happened so fast. Who'd have believed it? But all the components had been there for years. Semaphore was ancient. A century ago the watch had used a few towers to relay messages to patrolling officers. And gargoyles had nothing to do all day but sit and watch things, and usually were too unimaginative to make mistakes. What had happened was that people thought differently about news now. Once upon a time, they'd have used something like this to relay information about troop movements and the death of kings. True, those were the things that people needed to know, but they didn't need to know them every day. No, what they needed to know every day were things like how much are cattle selling for in Ankh-Morpork today? Because if they weren't fetching much, maybe it was better to drive them to Querm instead. People needed to know these little things. Lots and lots of little things. Little things like, did my ship get there safely? That's why the guild was driving hell-bent across the mountains onto Genua, 4,000 miles away. It took many months for a ship to round Cape Terror. How much, exactly, would a trader pay to know within a day when it had arrived? And how much the cargo was worth? Had it been sold? Was there credit to the trader's name in Ankh-Morpork? Coining money? Oh, yes. And it had caught on as fast as every other craze did in the big city. It seemed as though everybody who could put together a pole, a couple of gargoyles and some second-hand windmill machinery was in on the business. You couldn't go out to dinner these days without seeing people nip out of the restaurant every five minutes to check that there weren't any messages for them on the nearest pole. As for those who cut out the middleman and signalled directly to their friends across a crowded room, causing mild contusions to those nearby... <sighs> Vimes shook his head. That was messages without meaning. Telepathy without brains. But it had been good, hadn't it, last week? When Don't Know Jack had pinched that silver in Stolat and then galloped at speed to the Sanctuary of the Shades in Ankh-Morpork, and Sergeant Edge of the Stolat Watch, who trained under Vimes, had put a message on the clacks which arrived on Vimes's desk more than an hour before Jack sauntered through the city gates and into the waiting embrace of Sergeant Detritus. Legally, it had been a bit tricky, since the offence hadn't been committed on Ankh-Morpork soil and a semaphore message did not, strictly speaking, come under the heading of hot pursuit. But Jack had kindly resolved that one by taking a wild swing at the troll, resulting in his arrest for assault on a watch officer and treatment for a broken wrist. There was a gentle snore from Lady Sybil. A marriage is always made up of two people who are prepared to swear that only the other one snores. Inigo Skimmer was hunched in a corner reading a book. Vimes watched him for some time. I'm just going up top for some air, he said at last, opening the door. The clattering of the wheels filled the tiny hot space and dust blew in. Um, your grace, Inigo began standing up. Vimes, already clambering up the side of the coach, stuck his head back in. You're not making any friends with that attitude, he said, and kicked the door shut with his foot. Cheery and Detritus had made themselves comfortable on the roof. It was a lot less stuffy, and at least there was a view, if vegetables were your idea of a panorama. Vimes worked himself into a niche between two bundles and leaned towards Cheery. You know about the clacks, right? he said. Well, sort of, sir. Good. Vimes passed her a piece of paper. There's bound to be a tower near where we stop tonight. Cipher this and send it to the watch, will you? They ought to be able to turn it around in an hour if they ask the right people. Tell them to try Washable Topsy, she does the laundry there, or Gilbert Gilbert, he always seems to know what's going on. Cheery read the message and then stared at Vimes. Are you sure, sir? she said. Maybe. Make sure you send the description. Names don't mean much. May I ask what makes you think? His walk. And he didn't catch an orange, said Vimes. <clears throat> Constable Visit was cleaning out the old pigeon loft when the message arrived on the clacks. He was spending more and more time with the pigeons these days. It wasn't a popular job, so no one had tried to take it away from him, and at least up here the shouts and door slammings were muffled. The perches gleamed. Constable Visit enjoyed his job. He didn't have many friends in the city. Truth to tell, he didn't have many friends in the watch either. But at least there were people to talk to, and he was making headway with the religious instruction of the pigeons. But now there was this. It was addressed to Captain Carrot. That meant it probably ought to be delivered to Captain Colon now, and personally, 
because Captain Colon thought that people were spying on his messages sent via the suction tube. Constable visits had been fairly safe until now. Omnians were good at not questioning orders, even ones that made no sense. Visit instinctively respected authority, no matter how crazy, because he'd been brought up properly, and he had plenty of time to keep his armour bright. Brightly polished armour had suddenly become very important in the watch for some reason. Even so, going into Colon's office needed all the courage that the legendary Bishop Horn had shown when entering the city of the Oolites, and everyone knew what they did to strangers. Visit climbed down from the loft and made his nervous way to the main building, taking care to walk smartly. The main office was more or less empty. There seemed to be fewer watchmen around these days. Usually, people preferred to loaf indoors in this chilly weather, but suddenly everyone was keen to be out of Captain Colon's view. Visit went up to the office and knocked on the door. He knocked again. When there was no reply, he pushed open the door, walked carefully over to the sparkling clean desk, and went to tuck the message flimsy under the ink bottle in case it blew away. Aha! The ink soared up as Visit's hand jerked. He had a vision of the blue-black shower passing his eye, and heard the splat as it hit something behind him. He turned like an automaton to see a Captain Colon who would have been white-faced if it wasn't for the ink. I see, said Colon. Assault on a superior officer, eh? It was an accident, Captain. Oh, was it, and why, pray, were you sneaking into my office? I didn't think you were in here, Captain, Visit gabbled. Aha! Sorry? Sneaking and look at my private papers, eh? No, Captain, Visit rallied a little bit. Why were you standing behind the door, Captain? Oh, I am not allowed to stand behind my own door, is that it? It was then that Constable Visit made his next mistake. He tried to smile. Well, it is a bit odd, sir. Are you suggesting that there is anything odd about me, Constable? said Captain Colon. Is there anything about me that you find's funny? Visit stared at the mottled face speckled with ink. Not a thing, sir. You've been working acceptably, Constable, said Colon, standing slightly too close to Visit. And therefore I don't intend to be harsh with you. No one could call me an unfair man. You is demoted to Lance Constable, understand? Your pay will be adjusted and backdated to the beginning of the month. Visit saluted. It was probably the only way to get out of there alive. One of Colon's eyes was twitching. However, you could redeem yourself, said Colon, if you was to tell me who has been stealing, I said stealing, the sugar lumps. Sir? I knows there was forty-three last night. I counted them very thoroughly. There's forty-one this morning, Constable, and they're locked in the desk. Can you explain that? If Visit had been suicidal and honest, he would have said, Well, Captain, while of course I think you have many worthy qualities, I have known you count your fingers twice and come up with different answers. Er, uh, mice, he said weakly. Oh, off you go, Lance Constable, and just you think about what I said. When the dejected Visit had gone, Captain Colon sat down at his big, clean desk. The little flickering part of his brain that was still sparking coherent thought through the fog of mind-numbing terror that filled Colon's head was telling him that he was so far out of his depth that the fish had lights on their noses. Yes, he did have a clean desk, but that was because he was throwing all the paperwork away. It wasn't that he was illiterate, but Fred Colon did need a bit of a think and a run-up to tackle anything much longer than a list, and he tended to get lost in any word that had more than three syllables. He was, in fact, functionally literate. That is, he thought of reading and writing like he thought about boots. You needed them, but they weren't supposed to be fun, and you got suspicious about people who'd got a kick out of them. Of course, Mr Vimes had kept his desk piled high with paperwork, but it occurred to Colon that maybe Vimes and Carrot between them had developed a way of keeping just ahead of the piles by knowing what was important and what wasn't. To Colon, it was all gut-wrenchingly mysterious. There were complaints and memos and invitations and letters requesting a few minutes of your time and forms to fill in and reports to read and sentences containing words like iniquitous and immediate action 
and they tottered in his mind like a great big wave poised to fall on him. The sane corps of Colon was wondering if the purpose of officers wasn't to stand between the sergeants and all this, sh this slush, so that they could get on with sergeanting. Captain Colon took a deep, wobbly breath. On the other hand, if people were nicking the sugar lumps, no wonder things weren't working properly. Get the sugar lumps right and everything else would work out. That made sense. He turned, and his eye caught the huge accusing heap of paperwork in the corner. And the empty fireplace, too. That was what officering was all about, wasn't it? Making decisions. Last Constable Visit walked dejectedly back down to the main office, which had filled up for a watch change. Everyone was clustered around one of the desks on which lay, looking slightly muddy, the scone of stone. Constable Thighbiter found it in Zephyr Street just lying there, said Sergeant Strong in the arm. The thief must have got scared. A long way from the museum, though, said Red Shoe. Why lug it all the way across the city and leave it in a posh part of town where someone's bound to trip over it? Oh, woe is me, for I am undone, said Constable Visit, who felt he was playing a poor second fiddle to what he would call, if he had no use for his legs, a pagan image. Could be drafty, said Corporal Nobbs, a man of little sympathy. I mean I have been reduced to Lance Constable, said Visit. What? Why? said Sergeant Strong in the arm. I'm not sure, said Visit. That just about does it, said the dwarf. He sacked three of the officers up at Dolly's sisters yesterday. Well, I'm not waiting for it to happen to me. I'm off to stole that. They're always looking for trained watchmen. I'm a sergeant. I could name my price. Yeah, but look, Vimesy used to say that sort of thing too. I heard him, said Nobby. Yeah, but that was different. How? That was Mr. Vimes, said Strong in the arm. Remember that riot in Easy Street last year? Bloke came after me with a club when I was on the ground, and Mr. Vimes caught it on his arm and punched the man right in the head. Yeah, said Constable Hackney, another dwarf. When your back's against the wall, Mr. Vimes is right behind you. But old Fred, you all know old Fred Colon, boys, Nobby wheedled taking a kettle off the office stove and pouring the boiling water into a teapot, he knows coppering inside out. He's kind of coppering, yeah, said Hackney. I mean, he's been a copper longer than anyone in the watch, said Nobby. One of the dwarfs said something in dwarfish. There were a few smiles from the shorter watchman. What was that? said Nobby. Well, roughly translated, said Strong in the arm, my bum has been a bum for a very long time, but I don't have to listen to anything it says. He fined me half a dollar for mumping, said Hackney. Fred, go along. He practically goes on patrol with a shopping bag, and all I had was a free pint at the bunch of grapes, and I found out that Posh Wally is suddenly flashing a lot of money lately. That's worth knowing. I remember going out on patrol with Fred Colon when I started, and you could practically see him tucking his napkin under his chin whenever we walked past a cafe. Oh, no, Sergeant Colon, wouldn't dream of seeing you pay. They used to lay the table when they saw him turn the corner. Everyone does it, said Strong in the arm. Captain Carrot never did, said Nobby. Captain Carrot was special. But what am I supposed to do with this, said Visit, "'waving the ink-speckled message. "'Mr. Vimes wants some information urgently,' he says. "'Strong in the arm took the paper and read it. "'Well, this shouldn't be hard,' he said. "'Old Wussy Stead in Kicklebury Street was a janitor there for years, "'and he owes me a favour. "'If we're going to send a clax to Mr. Vimes, "'then we ought to tell him about the scone and sonky,' said Red Shoe. "'You know he left a message about that. I'd done a report.' "'Why?' He's hundreds of miles away. I just feel happier if he knew, said Reg, cause it worries me. What good will it do sending it to him then? Because then it'll worry him and I can stop worrying, said Reg. Corporal Nobbs. He listens at the door, I swear he does, said Strong in the arm. I'm off. Uh, come in, Captain, shouted Nobby. 
He pulled open the bottom drawer of his battered and stained desk and took out a packet of chocolate biscuits, some of which he arranged daintily on a plate. "'Does me no good at all to see you acting like this,' Strong in the Arm went on, winking at the other dwarfs. "'You've got it in you to be a really bad copper, Nobby. Breaks my heart to see you throwing it all away to become a really bad waitress.' "'Ha, ha, ha,' said Nobby. "'Just you wait, that's all I'm saying.' He raised his voice. "'Coming right now, Captain!' There was a sharp smell of burned paper in the captain's room when Nobby entered. "'Nothing cheers up the day like a good fire, I always say,' he said, putting the tray on the desk. But Captain Colon wasn't paying any attention. He'd removed the sugar bowls from the locked drawer of his desk and had laid the cubes out in rows. "'Do you see anything wrong with these lumps, Corporal?' he said quietly. "'Well, they're a bit manky where you've been handling them every... "'There's thirty-seven, Corporal.' "'Sorry about that, Captain.' Visit must have pinched them when he was in here. He must have used some fancy foreign trick. They can do that, you know. Claim ropes and disappear up at the top of them, that sort of thing. Did he have a rope? said Nobby. Are you making fun of me, Corporal? Nobby saluted. No, sir. Maybe it was an invisible one, sir. After all, if they can disappear up a rope, they can make a rope disappear too, obviously. Good thinking, Corporal. On a subject of thinking, sir, said Nobby, plunging in, "'Have you had time in your busy schedule "'to give some thought to the promotion of the new sergeant?' "'I have, as a matter of fact, "'put that very thing in hand, Corporal. "'Good, sir. "'I've borne in mind everything you said, "'and the choice was staring me in the face.' "'Yes, sir,' said Nobby, "'sticking out his chest and saluting. "'I just hope it doesn't cause loss of morals. "'It can do that when people are promoted. "'So if there's any trouble like that, "'I want the sugar-stealing person "'reported to me right away, understand?' "'Yes, sir,' Nobby's feet had almost left the ground. "'And I shall rely on you, Corporal, to let me know if Sergeant Flint has any trouble.' "'Sergeant Flint,' said Nobby, in a little voice, "'I know he's a troll, but I won't have it said I'm an unfair man.' "'Sergeant Flint!' "'I knows I can rely on you, Corporal.' "'Sergeant Flint!' "'That will be all.' I've got to go and see his lordship in an hour, and I want some time to think. That's what my job is, thinking. Sergeant Flint? Yes, I should go and report to him if I was you. White chicken feathers were scattered across the field. The farmer stood at the door of his hen house, shaking his head. He glanced up as a horseman approached. Good morrow, sir. Are you experiencing trouble? The farmer opened his mouth for a witty, or at least snappy, response, but something stopped him. Perhaps it was the sword the horseman had slung across his back. Perhaps it was the man's faint smile. The smile was somehow more frightening. Earth, something's been at my fowls,' he ventured. "'Fox, I reckon.' "'Wolf, I suspect,' said the rider. The man opened his mouth to say, "'Don't be daft, we don't get wolves down here this time of year,' but again the confident smile made him hesitate. "'Got many hens, did they?' Six, said the farmer. "'And they got in by—' "'Well, that's a strange thing. Here, keep that dog away!' A small mongrel had leapt down from the saddle and was sniffing around the hen-houses. "'He won't be any trouble.' "'I shouldn't push your luck, mate. He's in a funny mood,' said a voice behind the farmer. He turned round quickly. The dog looked up at him innocently. Everyone knew that dogs didn't talk. Wolf, bark, wine, it said. He's highly trained, said the rider. Yeah, right, said the voice behind the farmer. He felt an overpowering desire to see the back of the horseman. The smile was getting on his nerves, and now he was hearing things. I can't see how they got in, he said. The door is latched. And wolves don't usually leave payments, right, said the rider. "'How the hell did you know that?' "'Well, several reasons, sir, "'but I couldn't help noticing "'that you clenched your fist tightly "'as soon as you heard me, "'and I surmise, therefore, that you found, "'let me see, three dollars left in a chicken-house. Three dollars would buy six fine birds "'in Ankmore pork.' "'The man opened his fist wordlessly. "'The coins glinted in the sunlight. "'But I sells them at the gate for tenpence,' he wailed. "'They only had to ask.' "'Probably didn't want to bother you,' said the horseman. "'Since I am here, sir, I would be grateful if you could sell me a chicken.' 
Behind the farmer the dog said, Woof, woof! Two chickens, and I will not trespass further upon your time. Woof, woof, woof! Three chickens, said the rider wearily, and if you have them dressed and cooked while I tend to my horse, I will gladly pay a dollar each. Woof, woof! Without garlic or any seasoning on two of the chickens, please, said the rider. The farmer nodded wordlessly. A dollar a chicken wasn't chicken feed. You didn't turn up your nose at an offer like that. But most importantly, you didn't disobey a man with that faint little smile on his face. It didn't seem to move or change. As smiles went, you wanted this one to go as far away as possible. He hurried off to the yard that held his best fowls, reached down to select the fattest, and paused. A man who was mad enough to pay a dollar for a good chicken might be quite content with just a reasonable chicken after all. He stood up. Only the best, mister. He spun around. There was no one except a little scruffy dog, which had followed him and was now raising a cloud of dust as it scratched itself. Woof, it said. He threw a stone at it and it trotted off. Then he selected three of the very best chickens. Carrot was lying down under a tree, trying to make his head comfortable on a saddlebag. Did you see where she'd almost rubbed out her footprints in the dust? said Gaspode. Yes, said Carrot, closing his eyes. Does she always pay for chickens? Yes. Why? Carrot turned over. Because animals don't. Gaspode looked at the back of Carrot's head. On the whole, he enjoyed the unusual gift of speech, but something about the reddening of Carrot's ears told him that this was the time to employ the even rarer gift of silence. He settled down in the pose he almost unconsciously categorised as faithful companion-keeping watch. Got bored, scratched himself absent-mindedly, and curled up in the pose known as faithful companion curled up with his nose pressed on his bottom, one that no other creature in the world would adopt. And he fell asleep. He awoke shortly afterwards to the sound of voices. There was also a faint smell of roast chicken coming from the direction of the farmhouse. Gaspode rolled over and saw the farmer talking to another man on a cart. He listened for a moment and then sat up, locked in a metaphysical conundrum. Finally, he woke Carrot by licking his ear. What? You got to promise to collect the roast chicken first, all right, said Gaspode urgently. What? Carrot sat up. Get the chickens and then we got to go, right? You got to promise. All right, all right, I promise. What's happening? You ever heard of a town called Scant Collot? I think it's about ten miles from here. One of Mr. Farmer's neighbours has just told him they've caught a wolf there. Killed it? No, no, but the wolf hunters, there's wolf hunters in these parts, see, cause of the sheep up on the hills, and they have to train their dogs first, but remember you promised about the chickens. At precisely eleven o'clock there was a smart rap on Lord Vetinari's door. The patrician gave the woodwork a puzzled frown. At last he said, Come. Fred Colon entered with difficulty. Vetinari watched him for a few moments until pity overcame even him. Acting Captain, it is not necessary to remain to attention at all times, he said kindly. You are allowed to unbend enough for the satisfactory manipulation of a doorknob. Yes, sir. Lord Vetinari raised a hand to his ear protectively. You may be seated. Yes, sir. You may be quieter, too. Yes, sir. Lord Vetinari retreated to the protection of his desk. May I commend you on the gleam of your armour, acting captain? Spit and polish, sir, no substitute for it, sir. Sweat was streaming down Colon's face. Oh, good. Clearly you have been purchasing extra supplies of spit. Now then, let me see. Lord Vetinari drew a sheet of paper from one of the small stacks in front of him. Now then, acting... Sir! To be sure... I have here another complaint of over-enthusiastic clamping. I'm sure you know to what I refer. It was causing serious traffic congestions, sir. Quite so. It is well known for it, but it is in fact the Opera House. Sir? The owner feels that big yellow clamps at each corner detract from what I might call the tone of the building... And, of course, they do prevent him from driving it away. Sir? Indeed. I think that this is a case where discretion might be advisable, acting captain. Got to make an example to the others, sir. 
Ah, uh, yes. The patrician held another piece of paper delicately between thumb and forefinger, as though it was some rare and strange creature. The others being, let me see if I can recall, some things do stick in the mind, so, ah, yes. Three other buildings, six fountains, three statues, and a gibbet in Nonsuch Street. Oh, and my own palace. I fully understand you're parked on business, sir. Lord Vetinardi paused. He found it difficult to talk to Frederick Colon. He dealt on a daily basis with people who treated conversation as a complex game, and with Colon he had to keep on adjusting his mind in case he overshot. Pursuing the business of your own recent career with, I have to admit, some considerable and growing fascination, I am moved to ask you why the watch now appears to have a staff of twenty. Sir? You had around sixty a little while ago, I'm sure. Colon mopped his face. Cutting out the dead wood, sir. Making the watch leaner and fitter, sir. I see. The number of internal disciplinary charges you have laid against your men, and here the patrician picked up a much thicker document, seems somewhat excessive. I see no fewer than 173 offences of eyeballing, ear-lobing, and nostriling, for example. Sir? Nostriling, acting captain? Sir? Oh, and I see, ah, yes, one charge of making his arm fall off in an insubordinate way laid against Constable Shoe. Commander Vimes has always given me glowing reports about this officer. He's a nasty piece of work, sir. You can't trust the dead ones. Nor, it would seem, most of the live ones. Sir? Colon leaned forward, his face twisted, and a ghastly grimace of conspiratoriality. Between you and me, sir, Commander Vimes was a good deal too soft on them. He let them get away with too much. No sugar is safe, sir. Vetinari's eyes narrowed, but the telescopes on planet Colon were far too unsophisticated to detect his mood. I certainly recall him mentioning a couple of officers whose timekeeping, demeanour, and all-round uselessness were a dreadful example to the rest of the men, said the patrician. There's my point, said Colon triumphantly. One bad apple ruins the whole barrel. I think there's only a basket now, said the patrician. A punnet, possibly. Don't you worry about a thing, your lordship. I'll turn things around. I'll soon get them smartened up. I'm sure you have it in you to surprise me even further, said Vetinari, leaning back. I shall definitely keep my eye on you as the man to watch. And now, acting captain, do you have anything else to report? All nice and quiet, sir. I would that it was, said Vetinari. I was just wondering if there was anything going on involving any person in this city called... He looked down at another sheet of paper... Sonky. Captain Colon almost swallowed his tongue. Minor matter, sir, he managed. So, Sonky is alive. Uh, found dead, sir. Murdered, sir. Dear me. Many people would not consider that a minor matter, acting captain. Sonky, for one. Well, sir, not everyone agrees with what he does, sir. Are we, by any chance, talking about Wallace Sonke, the manufacturer of rubber goods? Sir? Boots and gloves seem non-controversial to me, acting captain. It's uh, the other stuff, sir. Colon coughed nervously. He makes them rubber wallies, sir. Ah, the preventatives. Lot of people don't agree with that sort of thing, sir. So I understand. Colon drew himself up to attention again. Not naturally, in my view, sir. Not in favour of unnatural things. Vetinari looked perplexed. You mean you eat your meat raw and sleep in a tree? Sir? Oh, nothing, nothing. Someone in Uberwald seems to be taking an interest in him lately, and now he's dead. I would not dream of telling the watch their job, of course. He watched Colon carefully to see if this had sunk in. I said that it is entirely up to you to choose what to investigate in this bustling city, he prompted. 
Colon was lost in unfamiliar country without a map. Thank you, sir, he barked. Veterinary sighed. And now, acting captain, I'm sure there's much that needs your attention. Sir, I've got plans to... I meant, do not let me detain you. Oh, that's all right, sir. I've got plenty of time. Goodbye, acting Captain Colon.